This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of international exploration, assaulting the poor, defenseless, and without proper representation, supernatural, and soaring through the skies of the hardwired hinterlands. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we explore the strange worlds of the TriTag Games and hopefully bring new life and wonderful things to your campaign. If we don't, hey, leave us a message on Facebook because we love to hear from you guys. Yep. This week, our topic is adventuring during a disaster. And now we're not talking about the GM's module design, right, John? No, and we're not talking adventuring during a, oh, say, a thunderstorm or something like that. You know, you're running a game and it's lightning and thundering and there's a tornado warning because the only game you're going to play then is, ah! Yeah, it's like I posted on Facebook. I said, if I were, if there were a game going on and all of a sudden a natural disaster, I'd be screaming and running like Daffy Duck. <laughs> yeah. no, we're talking about a, an adventure that's set during a, before, during, or after a natural disaster. Right. Some great event has occurred, or it's about to occur, and it's part of the adventure. It's part of the challenge of the adventure is to be able to function and achieve your goals, whatever they may be, in spite of, of the difficulties that this particular situation arises. Blix, people have told me that zombies are actually more of a natural disaster than they are a protagonist. Yeah, 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 because generally a protagonist has some kind of goal, a mindful goal, that is, not not just to eat your brains. They're more of like a natural hazard. They're everywhere. They're all around you. They're not trying so much to outsmart you. Like a fire, you know? It's like you go turn around a corner and, oh, look, zombies, much like, you know, oh, look, a fire. They're not exactly, you know, getting together and planning to take you out and, you know, you know building uh, a complex maze to keep you trapped in. It moves like a fire. Fire seeks out flammable materials, and it moves and burns past everything that it can, and it doesn't generally play back on itself, unless, of course, there's combustibles left behind or new combustibles move into the area. Uh, firefighters will talk about fires, and they, they seem alive. They almost seem like they're hunting you down. I can see equating a zombie invasion, a city on fire. But we're not really talking about zombies. I was just giving that as an extreme example where the adventure is supposed to be about something else, and all of a sudden you have this hazard that you have to deal with. In the same way, we're going to be talking about these same kinds of hazards that you might have to deal with as part of your adventure. The GM is put into the adventure to up the ante as far as the difficulty is concerned. We're going to talk about this in general first, right, John? We're not going to talk about the specific types of things, right? So I guess the first thing we should talk about is where you have a adventure which is going to precede a disaster. It's like your standard disaster movie. You have a plot line set up, and of course the disaster is going to interrupt that plot line. But I think the point is, is that you know it's coming. Yeah. Okay, there's some reason to believe it's happening, such as 
that's something similar to what was happening in Cuba, where there's this escalating tensions and some and, and this thing is going to come in. Or we're all in New Orleans and you see the Class Five hurricane being created out, and maybe it's going to land and maybe it isn't, but we still got something to do before that happens. And if it happens, it happens. Mount Pinatubo is busy churning and chuffing, and the scientists say, "Get the heck out of there." <laughs> But you don't. Yeah, you don't. And that's part of it. So, you know, in the case of where there's an impending disaster, okay, what are the sort of things that are going to be challenges to completing an adventure? What do you think, Trav? As far as getting into the natural disaster to help out? No, it hasn't happened yet. Let's say you're, you're doing Bureau 13. Okay. You're trying to eradicate a ghostly infestation in a house. But at the same time, the hurricane is looming up, coming in toward New Orleans, which is where the house is down in the Ninth District. How would that change the adventure? Well, certainly put a time crunch on things, because (laughs) if you're trying to stop this ghostly infestation, you're going to want to do it before, let's say, if the house gets destroyed... These ghosts are going to be running around because the hurricane's not going to affect them. They'll just pass right through them. Obviously, time crunch. Right. Danger to the structure itself because you're going to be trapped in a house that's, you know, getting the windows blown out and stuff falling down from the ceiling and whatnot. Possibly flooding. Yeah, flooding, especially New Orleans. If you're trying to unearth bodies in the basement and it's flooding, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Talk about your scare factor, too. Well, yeah, I mean, that's going to even put you guys, the characters, more on edge, and it's going to cause mistakes to be made. So, you know, the psychological factor. Also, um, lightning flashes. You could end up, because, you know, there's storms during a hurricane. You're going to have thunderstorms, lightning crash. Things Mm -hmm. could happen due to that. Power outages, which, yeah, that'll help during being in a haunted house. Possible fire. Actually, fire and flooding. That actually happened in New Orleans. There were houses that were half-submerged and on fire. And you're just there scratching your head going, wait a minute. <laughs> Get a handful of water and start splashing it on the fire. Yeah. Here you have a situation where you have this impending disaster. You're trying to run an investigation. The city fathers have said, okay, anybody who is in this area needs to evacuate. And you're staying in the area because you're trying to run your investigation. Now, isn't that going to maybe draw the attention of the police? Yes, it will, because the police can get pretty nasty. During, an event, during a, a situation like that, most police will end up being, okay, you're leaving now and you will be removed bodily. In order to ensure your safety, they will forcibly, physically remove you from the scene if you say, no, we're not leaving. Because obviously they're uh, public service officials. They're just not going to leave you to your fate. So if you're sitting there and putting up resistance on leaving because you're trying to stop this ghost or whatever yeah that's going to call attention to you this will come back to the whole cover story thing if you have a cover story why you're being there it may help you out but most likely yeah you're going to also have to deal with public service officials trying to get you out of there so you mean he's going to come back and haunt you then Oh. Yeah. Well, well, Blix, okay, let's say the police do show up at your door while you're trying to do an investigation or something. How do you keep from having to go? How can you put them off? Shoot them. Okay. No, 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 seriously. <laughs> no, I, okay, no, I, I can go with that. I mean, here now you have a siege situation. The police are lined up around the building. They, they, they have you have one person whose job is to talk to the police negotiator while the rest of you guys are trying to deal with the haunting, right? 
Yeah. And if you work it out just right, you can you can get the ghost to appear, you know, <laughs> and to draw their fire while you guys sneak out at the very end, right? Heck, I was just thinking that if you play your cards right, the hurricane will take care of the cops for you. At some point, the cops are going to say, all right, you know what? We did our best. Good luck. And they leave. This is that whole thing. This is above my pay grade. I'm out of here. Yeah, Yeah. they don't pay me enough to deal with this and this. No, no. In in all seriousness, if if, if the cops show up at your house and and they're trying to remove you from the place and you've got ghosts, you know, trying to eradicate in a house and obviously the house isn't your house so they're going to be asking you well that could be part of your cover that it is your house well you could yeah if you can prove that now if it is your house i don't i don't know that they can actually physically make you leave or not i mean i've heard stories of people refusing to go and the cops not being able to do anything about it you have to depend on how close you are to the storm because if the storm is coming in it's coming in hot and heavy uh, there's a handful of you guys in there, and you start delaying them. At some point, I would imagine, I'd be like, you know, like like Trav said, forget it, I'm out of here. You know, fend for yourself. Especially if you, like, lock the door and bolt yourself in. So you might also, having opportunistic crime interrupting your what you're trying to do. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, possibly street gangs who say, well, you know, the police are busy trying to evacuate people over there in uh, the French Quarter, so I guess we could do whatever we want to over here where you are. Yeah, pre, yeah pre-disaster looting, because you get things that aren't broken then. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we say this right off the bat? We don't endorse such behavior here on this podcast. Obviously, it, it's <laughs> no. not something we're And also... Any jokes that we make, we're not making light of people who are caught in natural disasters, nor Mm -hmm. the public service officials who often have to do the rescue. We're not making light of that. We've had, what, flooding and tornadoes recently throughout the Midwest, and, you know, we can list all the the, the big natural disasters we've had recently. We here are not trying to make light of any of that. It is in the context of the game. Oh. I mean, I, I live in the Northwest. I've been through two. I've been through two earthquakes now so far, and so far, knock on wood, I haven't had any major damage to my my current residence. But you never know. The next one, you know, the Nisqually, yeah, the next next big earthquake may take out my apartment complex. You know, we joke about things from time to time, and and you know, we'll probably do some of that here. And it's it's not because we don't feel sorry for you know people caught in those situations. We don't sympathize with people in those situations. It's just the nature of this show. We definitely care about people who have to suffer due to these things, and and especially people who go on suffering from you know events. You know, there's people who are homeless and people who've lost loved ones, and you know, we we're not making light of that at all. And as I said, the people who risk their lives helping others also. We're not belittling their efforts at all. So we just want to get that out of the way now before we continue. I just felt that had to be said. So anyways, we are talking about get rid of a ghost infestation during a game, and there's an oncoming hurricane. You could create the appearance of somebody in your group having a medical condition that did not allow them to be transported. I'm reminded of those old iron lung machines. Ah, yes. The, half the size of a room, and it's well. The police say you got to leave. And you're like, well, how? What do you? What do you mean? How can we? We can't leave. This guy's all hooked up to this life support. We can't. You know, we we have backup generators and things like that. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. So that's one way of of making them let you stay there because yeah. you've got somebody who's in immediate need, and that you're their their uh, qualified uh, assistance. 
and they're, the police aren't in a position to move you because it would be life-threatening, without a, uh, and they certainly can't do it without a court order. If the cop knocks on the door, don't answer. <laughs> you know, just everyone shut up, be quiet. And just well, if the ghost is sitting there <laughs> making noises and all that, that kind of puts the whole, well, nobody's yeah. home. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're in the middle of the seance trying to talk to the fool thing, yeah, that's going to be a problem. But, you know, you, you know, sometimes it's like the cops are going banging the door, see when it's home. If no one answers and there's no sign of anyone living, uh, anyone living in the house, so let's go on to the next one because they got a lot of houses to go to. Yeah, and let's face it. If it's a nice, good old, creepy, haunted house, they might think it's, you know, abandoned. Yeah. Right. They might not even go there. Except for all the people walking around with flashlights. And <laughs> In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever. An ancient portal system to millions of worlds. Built by a civilization of advanced alien beings, now lost to the ravages of an interdimensional war. He will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds where he will find a wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. He will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Miller. Fringeworthy, the tabletop game of interdimensional adventure is now available for a D20 system and coming soon to Savage Worlds. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the Seven Seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. Travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship, and then battle it out with blasters and plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own, or invent your own. Check out the French Woody Podcast at tritagsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Fringeworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritacsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million million worlds await you. Music by Ernster, available on iTunes. Now, the opposite situation is where, let's say you're playing Fringeworthy, mm-hmm. and you're going into a situation, and you know that due to your level of knowledge that the dike isn't going to hold and there's a big storm of brewing coming in and the local populace or the local powers that be aren't taking the danger seriously. There is no giant shark. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Or the dam will hold. It's held for a hundred years. It's going to still hold. So now you've got to deal with people who should be taking the situation seriously and aren't your your people drinking the hurricanes while the hurricane's coming. Yeah. <laughs> How do you motivate those people? How do you succeed in doing the right thing that you know needs to be done? John, you're pretty sure that the dam is going to go and no one's taking it seriously. How do you evacuate the area? You don't want to cry wolf and say the dam's busted because that all just gets you arrested and put up and you're locking a cell now waiting for the dam to bust. Well, actually, John, that's exactly what I was thinking you could do. 
you bust into the local radio station, you take control, and you, this just in, the dam is giving way, please evacuate immediately. That would be one way. That's dicey, and of course you're right if the cops catch you. Yeah, your timing your timing's off, too. Right, you better make sure your timing is good. Well, you know, that's what you talk about giving the college try. you got to do your best, right? So yeah. that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Um, I was thinking that maybe you would you would preemptively break the dam a little bit. That really get in trouble because let's say I broke it a little bit. What do you mean it's a six foot hole? <laughs> I said six inch. <laughs> it was six yeah, inch. They're now going to take the danger seriously. You know that that whole dam. You feel that whole dam's going to go down, and that's going to be a billion gallons of water rolling across neighborhoods. Now yeah. instead, you've got some major flooding that's imminent. So they're going to have to go and evacuate that area. Yeah, but it's amazing what people will do to, to, to deny it's ever happening. There was an infamous flood that happened in California. Was it Mulholland? He built all these various irrigation dams and so forth, and they saw the water leaking through the base. And he said, it'll hold the actual evidence of his eyes that the thing was actually filling before his eyes. Well, John, none of these ideas that we have are going to be able to defeat somebody who's just absolutely not willing to see with their eyes what's there. Okay. He's a major character you're going to run into. Okay. There's going to be that politico. There's going to be that person, that guy who owns the uh, the development or whatever, who says, "No, no, it's fine." You know, we all the monster films have that guy mm-hmm. that isn't willing to, you know, let anyone know that you know, there. As you said, there is no giant shark. Okay, yeah. there's going to be, and you're going to have to deal with that guy too. He's going to be the one who, until the very end, is going to say there is no problem. So how do you deal with him, John? We're playing a role playing game here. Okay, how do you deal with him? Just drag him along and do the equivalent of taking a dog and shoving his nose in it. What do you think, Blix? What's your solution? Well, you could kidnap him, you know, knock him out, get him out of the equation. I know, I, I know, I'm going to the violent solution a lot, but I'm saying this this thing is imminent. You're on a time, you know, you're on a time limit. You're trying to save lives here, right? You're trying to save lives. You got this guy who's giving all this dissenting information, and he's, you know, he's he's convincing people that no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Remove him from the equation. That's what I would suggest. There's a lot of different ways you could give him a shot of, you know, sodium pentothal and knock him out. You could uh, switch, you know, water for his uh, insulin. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. <laughs> you could do whatever it takes in order to make this person less you know, coherent, less of a force to be reckoned with. So then you're, when you're making those diplomacy checks or those bluff mm-hmm. checks, people were going to believe – have less people saying against you. You'll have a better chance of pulling it off. I was just thinking, try so, to – if there's a guy stonewalling you, find out somebody close to him and convince them. Somebody that you know he'll listen to. If you got the town elder saying that damn will hold, you take the kid or the wife or his friend and say, okay, you need to talk to your friend because of this here or all of you are going to die. Trav, I'm so proud of you. You're taking the high road here, right? (laughs) I'm not trying to show anybody up here. I'm just thinking... Oh, oh, thank you, because actually I, had, I hadn't thought of that, and, and I was saying, you know, that's not usually my way to say, hey, let's go and narc somebody, you know, but when I think of these huge disasters and how stupid people act in them because of misunderstandings, fear, you know, all that stuff, 
you know, I always think about, okay, how about like big clouds of tear gas or (laughs) things like that, driving them out of the area so they don't die, you know? If you had a feeling that there was a fire about to break out in Chicago, you know, maybe a little, as I was talking about breaking the dam, maybe a little fire in one location would, if nothing else, it would draw all the onlookers over to that location, which might be somewhere close to an exit when the real fire breaks out. You you said a fire in Chicago. If I knew that there was going to be a fire in Chicago and, you know, the whole Mrs. O'Leary cow, I'd be looking to have some hamburgers about two or three hours before that fire was to start. Just avoid, you know, the cow tipping over the lantern, okay? Who wants steak? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the whole problem about the before kind of thing is it, and we've said this before on the podcast, that we do not advocate adventures where it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. I mean, only like time travel type adventures does this really work because surely someone would be knowing if they had enough knowledge beforehand that this was going to happen, they'd run in, as you say, and, 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 and cook Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Yeah. It's- if that cow was the cause. There was a recent show that said it may not have been the cow. Uh, yeah. Well, John, <laughs> there's always someone saying that. Yeah. That's one reason why I said, you know, we were talking about things like hurricanes where they are impending, or it could be anything else. With Bureau 13, there could be somewhere in town, someone's about to do some great demon summoning, and you don't know where it is, but if, if it happens, then you know that everybody for a mile around is going to have a real issue here. Or maybe there's a plane that's, that's out of control and it's going to crash in the next hour, and it's 1940, and they don't have jet fighters to blow it out of the sky so it doesn't land you know i mean we're we're suggesting these these kinds of situations where you have some reason to really believe that this is going to happen and so you you can't stop it from happening but you can try to mitigate the results yeah but then there's the other kind the kind you don't see coming right well that's where if we want to move on we can go into the during where all of a sudden you're you're doing your adventure and whammo you have a disaster going out. Fire breaks out somewhere. The dam breaks. Tornado blows in. Oh, yeah. Earthquake starts up. Yeah. Volcano erupts. I mean. Right. Well, hey, hey, before we before we move on to the the during real quick, did you want to talk about um, the people you're going to run into who actually are trained, or like, for example, what kind of characters you know you might play or or would would be handy in this type of situation? Firefighters. Right, I was going to say I have a, a sh- real short list here. Is you know, fire and rescue, uh, EMTs, National Guard, Coast Guard. Uh, anyone else you guys can think of? I mean, of course, like a, a medical doctor, but I think EMT co- kind of covers that. Yeah, oh, yeah, any any medical professional, a nurse would be yeah. sufficient. Uh, let's see, medical, police. Well, well, police, yeah, of course, right, yeah. FEMA, yeah, any type of military. Because they're going to be useful, at the very least, crowd control. Um, let's see, what else? Army Corps Engineers personnel. They deal with this stuff all the time. Okay. Yeah. These are all things that, you know, if, if you're going to run a disaster scenario, if you have a player character who has this as a background, let's say, you know, their character was a cop or or is a cop. For whatever reason, the game doesn't have a, a skill or or a talent or whatever to... Uh, to cover that aspect, that that's something that the, the game master might have as a gimme. You know, it's just like, look, you you know what to do, or or at least you have a good idea of what to do. You may not know exactly, but you know you have to get the people out of the area. You know, that's your first instinct. Yeah, it's in your common knowledge. Um, 
But another thing is we didn't touch on is is if you if you were moving into this area uh, before a natural disaster happens that you know is going to happen, uh, if everybody donned some kind of uh, one one of these outfits, you know, like like a fire and rescue outfit or a, or a national guardsman outfit or uniform is what I mean. That could help you evacuate people because if you show up, you know, you show up in a military Humvee wearing national guard clothing. You tell people, you have to evacuate. The, the area is about to flood. No one's going to question it, really. Most people are going to just leave. They're going to get the hell out of there. Yeah. So that's one, you know, going back to that, you know, how do you get people out of there? That's one way to do it. Just trick them into thinking that, the, you know, the National Guard's telling them to get out. And probably the most important thing to make sure about as far as the adventure is concerned is make sure the PCs actually have a reason to stay in the area. You know, that they don't say, well, okay, so the tornado's coming. Well, see you guys. Let's get out of here. We'll, we'll, if the house is still there when we come back, we'll, we'll finish the investigation. Yeah, we'll just pop back into that into that ring portal and we'll wait about a uh, day and then come back out again and see what, see what happened. <laughs> so, Bruce, in case of the, uh, you know, the haunted house that we were going back to, so in that case, right. maybe they know ahead of time that the ghost's anchor to the area that they're in is that house. And if something happens to the house, that... It's not clear whether the ghost will disappear or will be free to roam the city. You know, maybe it's a really malevolent ghost. This could be the evil boarding house where there's a, a you know a thousand ghosts in it, and if the house gets broken into flinders, every place that a flinder ends up could be a site of a new haunting. You have to make the specter, if I may use that term, of leaving to be worse than staying there and dealing with the situation come what may. So that has to be built into the adventure design, I think. Because I've run to that in Fringeworthy where I've tried to put a situation where you know something happened, something bad was happening, and then they would turn around and say, oh, yeah, well, let's just leave that. You know, we'll come back in, in a couple of days, and then we'll see what happens. And, then, and, and that was my fault. I was a, a fledgling GM. I hadn't invested them in characters. I didn't make them care about anybody. They, they weren't trying to get involved with any of the local populace because once you do that, once you actually care about any of these NPCs, then to just abandon them to their fate, then you know, self-love would, would prevent that from happening. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of a person are you to let that happen? Especially in Fringeworthy where you can't take them through the portal. You can get back to the portal because it's now about t- 20 feet up in the air along the, along the fault escarpment of the earthquake. <laughs> You know, or, or it's underwater due to flooding. Yeah, and now you got to figure out where that where that warp is now appeared someplace else. Right. Well, yeah. So you're trapped there too. But I'm just saying, is it? But if you're in a situation where you can flee the area, yeah. then if you want the adventure to continue, then the GM's got to build in hooks that keep them from leaving. Mm-hmm. Right, so if we're if we're going to move on to the during, the first thing that I would say is make sure that whatever this disaster is, it's worth your time. 
a little windstorm's not going to do it. Okay, uh, I don't think a, one person's house catching on fire as kind of an aside during it, or or the the lights go out and and the guy down the street is having his store broken into by looters. That may not be enough. There, I think that when you're if you're talking about a natural disaster, there's got to be some serious shock and awe going on. Yeah, and that's up to the GM to really bring out their descriptive chops and really, you know, maybe get some video, throw it up on a screen, say this is what you're seeing, and show those huge tsunamis rolling in, knocking over building after building, and dragging people, kicking and screaming off into the surf, probably to their deaths. Yeah. Rather than just saying, yeah, some water came in and, and knocked down a couple of uh, beach uh, uh, umbrellas and stuff. Well, what big deal? Well, no, it was worse than that. You're on a house near the beach. So suddenly you're now on a house in the middle of the ocean because it's gone past you and your house is shifting and ter- twisting and turning because it's being ripped apart by the ongoing water. And pulled out. And pulled out. Right. What could you do now, Charlie? If you're going to run a disaster, you have to kill people. I mean, it's just no nice way to put it. Otherwise, it's not really a disaster. You have to have dead bodies floating by or people on fire. You, you need to – you don't need to get gruesome if you don't want to. I mean, you can, of course. That's where sound effects can really help. People screaming. Right. People right. begging for help. Right. It's not exactly a disaster if you don't have that. You know, it's, it's just property damage at that point. The kicker is is that once the team, whether it's Bureau 13 or Fringeworthy or Hardware or whatever, once they see that, oh my God, we didn't do anything or we weren't able to do anything and people are dying, that's going to be a good motivator if only out of character guilt and maybe a little player guilt where they're going to say, okay, we need to do this, this, this now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not quite railroading because you're motivating the players to make the, you know, to have the characters feel guilty that we may not save anybody, but we are going to give it the aforementioned old college try. We're going to bust our butts to make sure we get as many people saved as possible, if only to assuage the guilt of the people we couldn't save. Yeah. Because you're not going to save everybody in a national natural disaster like that. Like Blick said, people are going to die. Yes. And I would be one to say that any natural disaster worth its salt should at least endeavor, at least entail one or more uh, fright checks on the player. Yeah. And, and you know, you gotta make those will saves. You gotta make that guts check. Whatever you know, it, this is a frightening thing. The sky is opened up. Lightning is coming down. The wind is howling. The building you're in is shaking. I can <laughs> equate some personal experience to this. July 1980 in the Detroit area. I don't know, John, if you remember hearing about this. It was a storm that was literally so bad, the mm-hmm. sky was green. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember like okay, a couple then. Of I was 11 and out in the middle of that trying to get to my grandmother's car. Let me tell you, folks, there is fear involved. Mm-hmm. And if you're an 11-year-old boy out there and you're just basically losing your stuff right then and there, yeah, there's going to be fear involved. There were people out there screaming, trying to run around, torrential downpour, couldn't see anything, sky's green. You're thinking, you know, I'm an 11-year-old kid. I'm thinking Armageddon's in then and there. And just, yeah, you're going to have fear and people freaking out, and your characters are often going to be have to be the stability. And it's going to be another chance for role-playing because you're like, okay, we're neck-high in trouble here. You could even bring in the past of the character saying they were in a situation like this, and it's for good role-playing because you're, you're being 
heroes. Even if you don't want to be, you really don't have a choice in the matter. If you're in the position of a player character and you're in the middle of it, you're going to have to be a hero. If there's ever been a time that you want to use red shirts, this is it. (laughs) This is the time to, to pull the red shirt card in the biggest way, you know, have four or five guys helping you and you get inside of a building and just as, you know, just as they're about to get in, a telephone pole flies by and takes out three of them. The tsunami wave, you know, goes around the corner and sweeps them right away. Whoosh, and they're gone. Right, and it should have that kind of, you know, as we put it, the shock and awe. It's just like, oh, they're gone. Oh, wait a minute, I'm going to, no, no, they're gone. And it's like, oh. There's now six feet of water down there and it's rising. One of the things that's going to happen in such of a situation is that uh, the damage is going to move. It's not going to be just in one spot. You're not going to be able to say, well, you know, here, here's the safe place. Because when you get there, it may turn out that that's not a safe place anymore. Because the, you know, the, whatever the situation is, things are going to keep happening. Uh, you could be in a say, say, okay, I'm going to get into a nice little one-story tall building that I don't have to worry about it collapsing in the earthquake until the skyscraper three blocks away starts cracking and falling down across those three blocks toward the building you're in. Yeah, because, folks, let's face it, nature is not a static force. It is not orderly. It is chaotic. It is random. It moves around. An earthquake, it has an epicenter. It radiates out. Fires move and shift around. Like Blix said, firefighters seem to think that fire is almost alive. It will come and hunt you down. Storms. They move all over the place. You have winds going, you've got trees falling, you have water going. You have to keep moving if you're in the middle of a natural disaster. As I said, when I was in that storm when I was 11, I kind of froze up. Nature will whip things around and move things around, and you you can try to plan for it, but you need to keep on your toes. Your Your characters need to keep moving because... It could be anywhere at any second. Like Bruce said, you could have, okay, we're in this building. Why is the building moving? <laughs> or, or what's that noise? You know, So you always have to be on your toes because things can shift in an instant during right. these disasters. And as John was saying, is a natural disaster is going to include a lot of different threats, not just one. Yes, you have the earthquake that's going, but it's also breaking water mains, so you've got flooding. It's also breaking gas lines and downing electrical lines, causing sparks. Now you've got fire, possibly explosions. Oh, yeah. Down power line. That means you're not going to have electricity, which means certain things aren't going to be working there. And just it all compounds together, and you're having to deal with the main threat and four or five secondary ones all due to that main threat. Oh, yeah. You've seen these videos of the raging river undercutting buildings and watching the buildings topple over into back into the river. I mean, imagine you're someplace, say, in uh, oh, Italy or something like that, and you're busy trying to, to uh, get some vampire out of a building. You know, or or so, doing, you're trying to do something in that building, and then all of a sudden you look across the hallway and realize, There's, I can see sky now. And you realize half the building had just collapsed into the, into the raging river. And you're in the other half that's now starting to tilt. Yeah. You've just taken all the mystical pieces and you've just arranged them into the, the mystical uh, configuration so you can close the portal. And all of a sudden, 
the building starts shaking and they all shake out into some strange little Tetris kind of <laughs> design and it's now something entirely different and the <laughs> portal goes black and, and and tentacles start coming out now and <laughs> and you're going no 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 that's not what I said that's not what yeah. I meant <laughs> uh, yeah and a good GM's going to throw that in there now you, you got to have player buy-in for this. I think if anybody's going to play in this kind of adventure, they got to know that the GM is going to be thwarting them every possibility they have. But at the same time, it has to be it has to be achievable. It's not fun unless you can succeed at at achieving any of some or any of your goals. I think this is a good point to, to say we're, we're not talking Armageddon level disasters. That's a totally different show. We're talking things like near Armageddon. You know, we're talking things like like what happened in Japan recently. Oh happened, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's bad. It's horrendous. But there's still people out there who can deal deal with it and help you out with it and help you out and 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 you know, there's still the government. There's still in other individuals who are not affected by the disaster. We're tra- we're talking like an asteroid impact. That's everyone's at that point. Unless it lands in the ocean, in which case... You have a tsunami then, yeah. Yeah, and and maybe the coast is gone, but here you are in Pittsburgh, and you have this huge wave that's that's coming over the Appalachians. It's probably going to peter out before it gets to the plains. You might survive this. Yeah, until the debris lands back on the planet and starts saying fire thing. But yeah, but everything's all wet now, so it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about meteor strikes, because I have the D20 PDF when the sky falls. A 30-foot-wide meteor, the blast radius, including, you know, just the force of the blast, goes out for a couple of miles. So even something small as a 30-foot piece of rock still is going to cause a lot of damage. There's going to be a crater. There's going to be, you know, ash. So... You know, yeah, that that even then is going to be a problem. As far as disasters go, when you've got all this stuff going, the damage can be pretty widespread due to the secondary effects. Because as, you know, the main event hits, and then that, what's the term I'm looking for here? Domino effect. Right. Because you can have secondary, and I always have trouble with this word, tertiary effects. Sure. So that's something that a game master has to look up. If they're going to do a natural disaster game, know how these things are going to unfold. And as far as your rules go, try to have your rules ready as far as, okay, you're in a fire. You have the electricity. Let's say your character touches a live wire. There's a pretty good chance you're going to have stats on how much this stuff is going to cause damage. And have this stuff. I mean, obviously there's some things you're done. There's no damage. It's it's you're done. Just okay. That the red shirts usually are the ones that are going to suffer that. But if your character is going to go willfully into an area, make sure that you have the damage somewhere set. It's like okay, if they do this, this is how much they're going to take. This is GM prep, and this would be researching a natural disaster, not only in the rule context, but also just read old reports of of natural disasters. Read about the Japanese tsunami. Read about the, what was it, the 2000, the Indian Ocean tsunami that happened on Christmas a few years ago. Read about hurricanes, Katrina, Rita, the California wildfires. That's another good natural disaster. Uh, not a good, there's no such thing as a good natural disaster. But a natural disaster which you could gain information on because you'll find out, okay, because of this fire, also this, this, and this happened. 
And so the, this and is the mudslides that follow them. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you. I, I was trying to re, trying to think of a secondary effect of those wildfires. Oh, the San Francisco earthquake in 1904. Oh gosh, yes. You know that one had had fire, uh, basically had an earthquake. Then, but the earthquake didn't do as much damage as the fire that came afterwards. Yes, you go and send out your planet buster bomb, and you hit that asteroid coming in, and it breaks it into a thousand pieces. But those pieces aren't small enough to burn up on entry into the atmosphere. Now you've got a thousand fires starting in a huge radius. Like I said, yeah, a thirty foot wide piece of rock falling from orbit the blast radius is going to be i think i'm trying to remember from the pdf anywhere from like one to three miles each plus you're going to have when it hits you're going to have what they call uh fire bombs and they're going all over the place which cause fires so it's going to spread out so yeah something like that yeah and a meteorite is considered a natural disaster because mm-hmm. yeah we may know it's coming but it's a piece of rock falling from space, and as right. I said, it's going to cause damage. If you yeah, you bust that, you bust asteroid. Congratulations, you invented the the cosmic shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a very big a very big collect buckshot effect. Yes, right. We, you know what though? It's like I see movies where they talk about this. Like, no, you don't want to blow it up because then you'll have all these little pieces hitting everything. And my thought is, yeah, you know that might be better. Sure. It's going to kill a lot of people, but if the big one hits and it hits, you know, in one big piece, you know, it could be worse. The best description I ever heard was, okay, so you break the asteroid into a thousand pieces. Have you reduced its mass? No. Is all the pieces going to hit the Earth? Yes. The difference is you just spread, you're not going to have one big crater. You're going to have thousands of craters and it's going to be almost exactly the same. Well, I don't know. Damage out everywhere. It depends on where you blow it apart. If you blow it apart in space, you are losing some of the energy out into space. Yeah. So, I mean, you could disperse some of it. lot of the resources that you would normally be counting on are going to be gone. Either the uh, the fire truck is heading out the I-60 because the, the fire chief decided to jump in the fire truck and with his family and drive away with it, or the vehicle is going to be damaged, the hospital is going to be without power, and half the doctors are going to be home trying to take care of themselves. All, almost all the things that you're going to, you would normally count on being available to you in a normal adventure are not going to be there. Part of it's going to be scavenging for the things that you really need to have. And secondly, just mostly you're going to be thrown upon the resources that you have at hand. You're going to have to repurpose a lot of stuff. You also have non-red shirts. You're going to have people out there kicking and screaming and asking for help. If it's an earthquake, you may have people, the oh, oh, sections of the building may partially collapse, and now you got to rescue people from that disaster. You know, if it's a fire, you, you bravely go inside the building to rescue that kid, or you let them burn alive in there. 
Right. I, I was going to say one of the things we we didn't mention. We're talking about you know the shock and awe and how you have to kill people off and and you have to you know you have to make it real and and you have to make you know the players never want to go through this again. But at the same time, you know, uh, if you want to make a good adventure for this sort of thing, you also need to give them some feel good moments. You know, you need to give them an opportunity to save you know a little girl or or you know grandma's beloved pet or or something to that case you know something something like that a little victory yeah a little victory so, something to to make them come away from this without you know total doom and gloom and you know you don't want to send the players home crying right uh, <laughs> you still need to have goals that you're trying to achieve if your players decide we don't have an investment in this and all of a sudden they're seeing like a kid floating down the river dead it's going to motivate them to do it now, if you motivate them to do it and they're still losing, they're going to be looking at you as a game master and go, why are we even playing this adventure if you're just going to screw us all? The game master has to give the players a reason for them to have started this rescue. Okay, we are going in. We're going to save as many lives as we can. Yes, we know going into this, we can't rescue everybody, but the, we're going to do our damnedest to make sure that we get as many people safe as possible. You're in a hardware store. It's on the edge of town. Uh, the hurricane is kicking in pretty rough. You figure you have about five minutes to grab whatever supplies are on the shelves. Uh, what do you take into the disaster? I would at least take a hydraulic jack. A hydraulic jack, okay. Because you could use that to support collapsing structures and possibly even free people who've gotten trapped under things. Acres this- and acres of rope. Yes, as much rope as possible. Oh, well, yes. Nylon cord, oh, yeah. Not near a fire, though. Well, no, no, no. Well, in that case, then even chain. No, no. You know what, though? Rope in a fire is handy. Let's say you're going to go in and save somebody, and there's a lot of smoke, you know, crawl across the floor and everything. You might want to be tied to your uh, to your buddies on the other end so you can find your way back through the smoke because you can get lost easy. Or, you know, you give a tug and they yank you out of there. Well, obviously, yeah. if you're in a fire and you're in a tool uh, hardware store, grab any and all fire extinguishers you can. Yep. Just so you can put out basic fires near you. Obviously, you're not going to put out a whole house with a handheld fire extinguisher, but it'll be enough to maybe for you to clear a path or two. Mm-hmm. Flashlights. Yeah. Flashlights, um, extra batteries, maybe walkie-talkies, because I think some hardware stores sell them. Oh, yeah. Cutting torch. Oh, suddenly torches and, uh, and butane. Oh, God, yes. I forgot all about that. Yeah. And don't forget, if you're if you're a beer agent or you're playing fringeworthy, that environment suit, while it may not be fireproof, it might give you enough protection to get to get get in there and at least do something in that fire. Most of the danger in fire is usually from the smoke, not the yeah. fire. Yeah. And most most of the stuff we're talking about, you know, I mean, we're being very generalized. You know, we're saying, you know, grab hydraulic jacks and acetylene torches and stuff. You know, it depends on the the disaster, how many people you have. If you're going into a hurricane where there's going to be you know, tornado strength winds and, and, you know, and let's say there's only three of you, probably not going to be carrying a hydraulic jack around because it's just because just of the weight. They're not as heavy as you think they are. Okay, I'm thinking of the hydraulic floor jacks. Are you thinking of something no, else? No, there's, there's smaller ones. There's smaller ones yeah. that, like I say, if you can, a lot of times if you can just move something that's really heavy just a couple of inches, right. that's enough to free somebody. Let's say you're carrying a bunch of supplies and you got to move fast and you got to be nimble. Crowbar. Could take the place oh of God! I was just right. thinking of that. Yeah, they're in my section that I that I work in. Yeah, crowbars, sledgehammers and to break down doors if you need to get in to get people. And don't forget the magic of the, the simple lever. 
if you can get make a full chrome and get a long enough piece of wood or a pipe, that may work too. A lot of games don't have rules for levers. It's real simple. You just take the length of the lever, okay, versus the amount that's on the other end, and multiply your strength by that. You got eleven foot stick, and you got ten feet on one side, one foot on the other. Then you can multiply the weight of yourself <laughs> by a factor of ten. Or you could just, you know, game master it and say, you know, you find a piece long enough. Yep, and it seems okay. strong enough too. It's not going right. to break right, right, right. the strain. We're getting with all this fancy stuff, you know. How about gloves and uh, safety goggles? A simple what respirator mask. Yeah, respirator yeah. mask. Sure. If it, if it's a hardware store, you can find you'll be able to find a respirator mask for pain for painters, which would be perfect for going through through smoke. The, par- the particle size is about the same size. Yeah, it is. And don't forget head protection. Mm-hmm. Oh, the hard hats. Hard yeah. hat. It doesn't have to be a hard hat. It could also be a bike helmet. It can be a football helmet. Anything that protects your head. When bricks start falling off of buildings, when someone goes and knocks you off the car and you go falling in the street, believe me, you'll be not glad you had something on your head. A safety vest. You know, one of those orange ones with the reflectors on it. Your whole team should be wearing one of those. So if something happens to you, the other guys can find you easily. In the mud and in the smoke and all that kind of stuff, you, you become a smear on the landscape really easily. Hey, there you go. Hey, duct tape is a good one. But if you're being attacked by ra- uh, ravaging monsters, no, don't wear <laughs> the reflective vest. No. Right, in, right, right. in the case of Bureau 13, yes. If there's going to be you know, a ravenous you know, set of beasts coming after you, probably not the best thing to wear. Or if it's like that uh, episode of uh, The Walking Dead, you, know, you could wear dead people on you, you know, their, their guts and their brains and stuff. Ooh, lovely. Yeah. Now I'm really hungry. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like sausages. Right. Well, in the long term, if your adventure is taking place a long period of time, getting supplies to keep going is going to be a challenge, too, because all the food's going to vanish. All the good water is going to be gone. Yeah. So the ability to be able to filter water or even to know where food is being kept in quantities that wouldn't be immediately accessed, that's important, too. Yeah. Right. And caloric dense food is what you want in a case like that. Like you want that's. The one place where candy bars are fantastic, granola bars, MREs. Oh, yeah. I was watching uh, the, the, the Survivor Man, uh, Les, I forgot his last name. Uh, he did a show about surviving a uh, hurricane. And one thing he said, he said to do, if you have a two-story house, fill your bathtub full of water. You can drink that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in a, ho- in a two-story or a multi-story house, start turning taps on during, when disaster starts happening and fill those tubs. Well, shouldn't you do that no matter how big your house is? Well, if it's a flood, all you're doing is just simply speeding the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keeping the tub from floating at that point. Uh, 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 okay, well, sure. Okay, if, if you know that you're going to be immediately flooded, yeah. sure. But if it takes a while, 
if it's one of those slow buildup kind yep. of things, then you're still going to have potable water for when the, all the the water supplies go bad and get contaminated because the pipes are you know toward the disaster. So I would always say fill up your bathtub no matter what. Okay, Carol. Now you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin. Okay, sure. Well. What are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey. She's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold any for Best Gaming Podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey. Now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and new shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But, but no, no changeling. changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. So we've had the disaster, the tsunami hit, the meteors hit, the zombie plague hit, the poison gas rolled over the mountaintops and rolled through town. So now it's afterwards. You're still trying to complete your mission, but now what do you have to deal with? Lex? So you have to deal with having water, having food, having medical supplies because you have all these injured people. Uh, you might be injured. Water's going to be your biggest thing. It's always water's always the most important thing in a situation like this, because you need it every day. You know, it's not like you like food you can go without for weeks. Water, you've got about three days maximum, I think, before your uh, your brain dehydrates to a point of of brain damage. So right. so water is paramount. Now, if you have a pot, you can build a fire. Then a lot of the water you can drink. You can make it potable. Not always, though. I mean, that that's good for um, waterborne creatures and such. But you know, if petroleum or or manure has gotten into your water supply, you know, either from flooding or if you've gotten something in the water that you can't boil out, then of course you can't get water on the fly. You could get water collectors. You know, you could get like a like a poncho or something and collect water. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be your biggest problem is is just supplies. You know, the whole area is destroyed. Any supplies that were there are gonna be scarce. Uh, of those scarce supplies, uh, other people probably have picked through them. Or you're fighting them for them. Or you're fighting them for them, right, right. That's going to be a real problem. Say we're set in Bureau 13, well then you know, unless it's a, such a major disaster is, is taking out major infrastructure, you know that help will be coming. National Guard be showing up. Say you're infringeworthy on an alternate world, there may be no help coming. What you got right there is exactly what you got to deal with. You are the help. Or you're in hardware hinterland, the help might come. Depends if anyone knows what happened on your environment or not. If you're in Fridgeworthy, if you're lucky, there's another another portal across the platform that's got lots of useful stuff within a, a, an easy distance of the portal so you can just transfer it across. But you might also be in a situation where you have to drive at least 50 miles to find a, a location where you could get some help. It's been a disaster. And you're, like, you're right, you have waste products in the water in the food sometimes and so now you got to deal with various you know after disaster diseases like cholera and dysentery radiation poisoning cholera is one of the most likely dysentery for manure in the water 
And then you have all those dead bodies, mm-hmm, and you got to mm-hmm. deal with them because they'll be making oh, yeah. disease quicker than anything else. So now you got to deal with all. The, and when I say dead body, I mean all the dead bodies, humans and animals. Yes, even lying around. If you're in the farmlands, you've got to deal with animal waste because usually farms collect the animal waste, which then gets pumped out later. Well, when floods happen, they generally break the um, the dikes on these uh, animal waste areas. And so these fields get flooded with nothing but, you know, pure animal waste product. So that can get into the water supply really fast. Or, or conversely, yes, the, 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 the flood moves to the farm and it picks up all that manure, picks it back into the river, carries it down to the city and deposits it in the city. Right. Stuff 10 miles, 20 miles down the river can affect what happens to you here in that, in that city or that town. Again, with your rules, people, you game masters. <laughs> Your disease rules will come into play with this because you're if you're dealing post-disaster, you're going to have to make sure that you fell in the water trying to help somebody. You may have taken some. Oh, you failed the fort save? Fine. Three days, you have the, the more game prep. This is more stuff that you game masters will have to do to know how to deal post-disaster. When we talk about lack of medical care, there's a lot of people out there that uh, are on medications. Those medications are going to run out or were destroyed during the disaster or lost, and now they're hurting. Oh, yeah. That's oh, gosh. People who were completely helpful and, and really uh, the backbone of your group may suddenly become totally in, infirmed. Right. you got you know, diabetics. Heart medication, blood pressure Epi- medication, cholesterol medication. Epileptics. Lithium. Psychiatric drugs. Yes, I have friends of mine who are on those, and if they didn't have them, they will be totally useless. Or dangerous. Yeah, oh, worse yet, yeah. (laughs) I know some of them, too. You really need to keep the medications available, and if they get in short supply, it could be a real problem after a disaster. Yeah. All those closets, alcoholics are suddenly going to find they don't have any place to get a drink. Oh, man, no. <laughs> <laughs> Blix, we've got your number. Uh, alcohol is one of the easiest things to actually make if you know what you're doing. Yeah. And if you don't know what you're doing, then we have blindness. Lots and lots of blindness. Yeah. <laughs> lots of blindness. <laughs> so another thing you don't have is um, is you don't have electricity. Electricity is like one of the most vulnerable of the infrastructure things. That you can lose. Right. We'll go back to that, that day of the green sky. There was no power for a week. Yeah. And not to mention, oh God, was it 03? Where a quarter of the United States was without power due to some... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, the grid failure. We didn't have power in uh, right after 2000. We didn't have power for a week in our house because of an ice storm in Atlanta. You, you may be a small kid when this happens, uh, what happened, Trav, but... I remember back in the mid-70s in Michigan where we had this massive snowstorm that basically took out power. It's middle of winter. There's four feet of snow around everywhere. There's no power. We had to move into town. Yeah, because no power generally means no heat. Yeah, mid-70s, I was six. Yeah, Yeah, I I barely remember that. And contrary to the uh, Dawn of the Dead, nuclear power is the first to go, not the last. Oh, yeah. Because without somebody standing there in the control room, there's an event that occurs at least once every 18 hours that if it isn't uh, responded to, the entire system shuts itself down. Yep. Or if you're lucky, the system has has earthquake detectors, which will scram the system, which is shut down. 
But in the Fukushima situation, they had called a double-blind event. They lost power, and they lost their secondary power, and they lost the grid. Nothing in their, in their plans had all those things happening at once. So, yeah, that's why Fukushima now is going to be the next Chernobyl. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So here you are with your nuclear power plant, and if it's a bad situation where everybody had to evacuate, you know, you're not going to have any power for a long time. The only really reliable source of power is going to be local generators, you know, backup generators and such. Uh, during that ice storm, I brought power into my house using an inverter and the uh, alternator on my car. <laughs> oh, wow. I was able to provide about a, a, a thousand watts of reliable power. Three days of supplies. You need to keep at least three days of supplies if, if you're in an area like I am in an earthquake zone, and I have about three days worth of supplies, but if my apartment co complex collapses, I won't be able to get to them. There are survival kits. They're actually being sent to, uh, to Japan right now. There's, it's basically a week's worth of supplies and shelter in a box that's no bigger than a, uh, a meter by a meter and a half by a meter and a half. So about two yards in the yard. Uh, basically, it's not, it's not really big, but there's enough stuff in there to have shelter for... That's a pretty um, big box, John. Pretty big box, but it also provides enough shelter and food for up to 12 people. So that actually is a sm very small box considering what, what an average person goes through in a day in terms of food and supplies. Yeah. Hey, you know, another thing that, that we might be miscounting here is that, um, you know, we're, we're always assuming that we're going to be somewhere civilized. You know, you're going to be in Detroit or you're going to be in, you know, be on the California coast. But what if you're somewhere like Haiti or Nicaragua or somewhere where, you know. The Zeal Village. The Zeal Village, right. Where law enforcement, you know, has a hard enough time keeping things organized under optimal conditions. And you have this, this big disaster happens. And now roads are shut down. There's no power to areas. Towers are down. You know, cell towers and stuff are down. So they, they, communication is down. You know, you could have warlords either spring up or uh, become more active. They become another hostile element in where they wouldn't have normally because patrols would keep them at bay where the cities or the villages. So that could be a, become a real problem for you. Sure. Or worse yet, the local law enforcement decides, screw this, we're going to take charge now. Yeah, like a martial law type thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, without government sanction in the process. Right. And even if the government's involved, it can, it can be not a good thing because what if the government decides that it's going to engage in triage in terms of population groups? Well, we can only mm -hmm. keep a quarter of the population, but we've got three quarters of the population going after the same resources. Well, we're just going to have to get rid of three quarters of that population. Right. And some disasters have after disasters, like earthquakes will have aftershocks, which can be almost as almost as bad as the original earthquake. Oh, yeah. Um, in <laughs> Japan, they I have my former co-host. Her stepsister is a teacher in Tokyo. Posting on Twitter constantly about another aftershock, another, and this is going on for weeks after the initial earthquake there in Japan a couple months back. Yeah, two months down the line, I'm still reading. She's dealing with another aftershock. So aftershocks can last for months. You don't know how long they'll last. You don't know when they'll stop. So that's something you got to keep on your toes if you have a decent earthquake going. Yeah, that building that didn't collapse in the original earthquake. May go down one of those aftershocks. Yes. 
And the whole thing with the Fukushima power plant, there might have been something that might have been mitigated due to the original quake. And aftershock still might set something off. So yep. they still have to worry about that. Yeah, imagine a, um, you know, an oil tanker in port, you know, gets hammered by a hurricane and, and starts to, you know, ruptures and starts to uh, spill crude oil out into the bay of, you know, some some town, you know, and you got all this crude oil washing up on shore. And it, even if, and let's say it floods into the town some, so now you've got, you've got crude oil covering everything. And then, oh, now you got a fire. A good chunk of the town is on fire now. You have grassland fires out in an area like Africa. Well, it's driving those animals ahead of it, right? And let's say your town is in the path of all those animals. Well, you got lions, you got elephants, you got all kinds of things that are now suddenly going to be tromping through your nice town and scared out of their wits or possibly hungry, looking to protect their own. You know, the American mindset. Yeah, a natural disaster. A stampede. And it's like, no, not here, but... <laughs> well, it, it happened in uh, some of those Old West towns. I mean, we, we yeah. sometimes see it in, like, you know, old in some of the Old Westerns where a, a cattle herd would actually stampede through the town and kill anybody who, who didn't manage to get inside fast enough. And in some cases, they knocked buildings down and just kept trampling over the buildings. A release of other kinds of predators, like a prison wall collapses oh. and releases those guys. Sure. You have an earthquake, something long-term, it releases all of the pent-up predators that's in the local zoo. Well, now all of a sudden you have oh. the jackals and you've got lions and... Tigers and bears. Oh, my. Yeah. you got poisonous snakes that are now proliferating in the gardens and in the woods. Some of those two-step Betty ones where they bite you, you get two steps and fall down. Those oh. alligator farms in Florida crack open and all those alligators. A bunch of alligators who have been watching people walk by and going, I could eat one of those. They're actually raising hundreds if not thousands of alligators for harvest. Yeah. And they're delicious. And they are. They taste great. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you have to feed those guys every day. They use a lot of chicken, but when you have a natural disaster where all of a sudden it gets broken open and they go running in all directions, well, you know, they're going to get hungry. Some of them are big enough to take out your dog and take a good piece out of your leg and maybe even take your kid. Oh, yeah. Talking about uh, Bureau 13, you know, like the Ghostbusters containment unit, you know, you have a, a primary and a secondary failing on power and then all of a sudden all the ghosts from this containment unit get cut loose. So you could have the same sort of thing in Bureau 13 because, you know, we've had discussions about would they do catch a, a supernatural creature? Do they just kill it? Well, if they don't, then give them trial and everything. That must mean there are some prisons somewhere where these guys are kept. What happens if Bangor, Maine fails? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Where it is, it fails. There, there, there goes my sleeping tonight. and <laughs> Just yeah. thinking of that. Or even just secondary storage. There are plenty of secondary for like supposedly low-level, you know, magic items and low-level stuff that can be stored away safely, but they don't require the the depth of protection that, that Bangor yeah. Maine provides for the really nasty stuff. Let's say that your bunch of looters break into some little antique store and get into a vault and grab all the stuff that's on the inside of the vault and carry it off to the four corners of the state. They don't even know why they went into that vault. They just knew how to get into that vault and get that stuff. And now it's everywhere, going all happening at the same time. Yeah. yeah there could be a lot of after effects like that. 
we're talking about the television show Friday the 13th. They were collecting all these cursed items and putting them into a vault underneath their curio shop. There are plenty of, of secondary sites out there where if something bad happens, yeah, a lot of those items go, we can get out of here now. Yeah, let's get out of here. They get loose again. They're not major stuff, but they're bad enough that they can be a real pain in the butt to get, get back. And especially during... Or especially, well, after a natural disaster. Yeah. Well, especially if nobody knows they're there, too. Yeah. Police force that's designed to watch over them is nowhere to be found because of the disaster. That dagger that makes you want to kill people until you kill f- 15 people, then you kill yourself and you know by handing it to another person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, you could go through a lot of people before <laughs> someone finally realizes what's going on. You know, they, they figure, oh, it's just looters. No, it's not. It's something else going on. So you can add all these uh, continuing issues into the uh, ongoing campaign as long as you don't overdo it. We want them to still feel like they're succeeding in their adventure. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you're trying to do survival horror, in which case, you know, it's all about trying to put them as close as possible to the edge. They scramble back a little bit, but then you push them back there again. It depends on your game, but assuming that you're playing a game where you are trying to achieve some kind of success, we don't suggest doing all these things at the same time. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. No, no, we don't. We don't. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, bad Roger Corman movie. Yeah, it ends up being after a while, your players will just look and shake their heads and go, "No, you're that's this so is the, above our play pay grade as players." Yeah. So the giant shark sharktopus is attacking the city, right? Okay. Oh, I was <laughs> n- hoping we'd avoid that. Sharktopus. Shark-topus. <laughs> yes, the vampire sharktopus. Yes. <laughs> it's got those suckers, you know? The giant colossal vampire shark shark divorce. Okay, come on, John. That was assumed, okay? <laughs> All right, folks. That's it for the general topic of disasters. Next episode, we'll start getting into the actual individual disasters like flooding and volcanoes and, and what you can do to protect yourself to get along and we'll have a whole bunch of adventure ideas on other things you can do in the midst of that disaster. But this show is come to an end. Oh, no. It can't come to an end. It's a disaster. And remember, folks, if you have questions about this or any show, please contact us on our Facebook page. We have Yahoo groups, the Podbean site itself at tritechsystems.podbean.com with questions, comments about... If, if you have things that we, heaven forbid, the four of us with over a century of gaming experience might have forgotten, <laughs> I don't see how, but we do slip up from time to time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure we forgot something. Yeah, so please, by all means, Facebook, Yahoo, Podbean.com, contact us and let us know about this episode and anything you might have gotten out of it, please, because, you know, we, we work on feedback. I mean, come on, Trev, there hasn't been a single mention of mutant Nazi clones from Mars. Yeah. <laughs> or what's one my friend did? Nazi SS baby werewolves from the deep. deep, deep. See? See, there's all, already two things we totally blew over. Right, but, but definitely definitely talk with us online about it because, you know, the discussions don't end here. You know, they continue on. If you wanted to, you know, talk on the podcast website, talk on Facebook, talk on uh, the forums, please do. We, we try to engage everybody. Oh, yes, TriTechGamers.com. See, we, we forget things. Uh, the, the case in point. Thank you, Blix. 
which is an excellent place to actually post your gaming stories because there, there you have the space to do it, which you don't really, and it'll stay there forever for us to enjoy yes. versus Facebook where it kind of works its way down. Right. <laughs> Slides around. So. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.